Father, thank you so much for your love and kindness and goodness to us. Thank you for another gorgeous day. And uh, we just ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. He couldn't quite remember when he first said it. He couldn't quite remember the first time that the words had gone into his brain, perhaps off of a page into his brain, or perhaps off of a screen into his eyes, into his brain, and then out his mouth. But he couldn't quite remember the first time he'd ever said it. But he knows he said it a lot. And he knows that not only has he said it a lot, but most English-speaking people have said it at one time. Most English-speaking people have said it at one time. In fact, it's probably the most said thing in the English language in all of history. And he couldn't quite remember when he had said it. It was, it was that part of the, the church service that got a little more interesting because all of a sudden he got to do something. Sometimes we treat church like it's a, a spectator sport. I'm guilty of this. You're guilty of this. Sometimes we treat it like we're here to watch. But we're participants. And there are times where our liturgy encourages participation. And he couldn't quite remember when he first said it, and he just knows that there are some disagreements as to how it should be said. In fact, when he first came here to this church, he found that people were saying it differently than the church he had been at most previously. And his kids were the first ones to notice. His kids were the first ones to say, Dad, they do it wrong. It's trespasses, not debts. Of course, they were little and they probably said, it's trespasses, you know, just mumbled some kind of, it's trespasses, you know, or something. They were bummed because that was like the biggest word that they knew and they wanted to use it. And now it was shortened to debts. And scholars believe that the Lord's Prayer is perhaps the most widely said thing in the English language. It's probably been uh, recited, it's been stated, it's been prayed, it's been... um, It's in the liturgy of every single English-speaking church, and it is probably the most widely said thing in the English language. Isn't that amazing? And today, we did it again. Didn't we? Remember? We wrap up the prayer with it. Now, one of the dangers of praying the Lord's Prayer weekly And may I encourage you that maybe you need to think about praying it daily. May I encourage you, maybe you need to think about praying it hourly. Maybe you need to think about praying it more than just on Sunday mornings. Maybe you need to think about it and pray it. You see, this series, we're going to take a look at the Lord's Prayer because the last series, we were looking at what the kingdom of God is and the kingdom of earth. And this prayer, Jesus prays, and in it, he talks about God. He talks about God as Father. He talks about his heavenly kingdom. And may it be done on earth as well. 
And we're going to break this down for the next four weeks. We're going to take a look at this prayer because one of the things we're going to learn is none of us know how to pray very well. The reason I say that is because Jesus taught prayer. Now, one of the reasons that uh, the Lord's Prayer isn't terribly impactful, in fact, most of our lives, we are busy spending our lives trying to find things to fulfill us, trying to find things that make us happy, trying to find things that make us feel better, trying to find things that make life worth living. And Jesus has given us this prayer. It's right under our noses. You say it every Sunday if you come to this church. You say it every Sunday if you go to some other churches in town. You say this prayer, and it's right under our nose. Jesus says this is what you need for fulfillment. But none of us believe it. And part of why we don't believe it is because we say it every Sunday. (laughs) When we first moved to Ray... This is the closest I've ever lived to train tracks. And when we first moved to Ray, every night, there's some engineer whose life's calling is to wake up the nice folks of Ray, Colorado. Like at, I don't know, one, two, three in the morning. It's like, these people are all armed. They're sleeping, but they're armed. Why are you doing this? And I remember when we first moved here, it's like, oh my gosh. There's a train that comes through town in the middle of the night. And we live like, I don't know, half a mile from the train tracks. I couldn't imagine living closer. Some of you do. Some of you, we go to baseball games here in Ray, like yesterday. And trains, there's an engineer. He's called to disrupt every single baseball game. That's his life's calling. And you're right. It's like, whoa, it's insanity. But I found that after living in Ray for 14 and a half years, I don't wake up in the middle of the night anymore. I don't even notice it. There's still trains that go through town in the middle of the night. You see, we get used to things that happen regularly. We get used to things. We tune it out. We become accustomed to it. It's just normal now. And that's what's happened to most of us with the Lord's Prayer. Because we say it every Sunday, we just pay no attention to it. Our Father who art in heaven, I'll be the name. Right? I mean, we just rattle it off. And we don't even think, you don't even have to think about what you're saying. And that's why for the next few weeks, we're going to unpack this. And we're going to think about what we're saying when we talk about the Lord's Prayer. Now, there's a couple of things I want us to get. One is the difficulty of prayer. And that is going to make some of your day. Some of you, that's going to make your day. Because you're like, yes, I find prayer difficult. And guess what? You're in good company. Prayer is difficult. The other thing we're going to take a look at is the basis of our prayer. Both these things are taught by Jesus. We're going to look at a passage of scripture. It's Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 15. And um, the words will be on the screen. If you have a Bible, it'd be a great time to open it and take a look at it. If you have a screen and you connect to our Wi-Fi here, you can find the Bible. All sorts of ways to get in God's word. In 
Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. This is in the middle of what's called the Sermon on the Mount. And it's Jesus preaching. And if you were to just read this straight through, you'd find that Jesus could get her done quickly. Okay? And there's been thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of pages of sermons and commentary on these few words of Christ's. In the middle of his sermon, one of the things he decides to teach people is how to pray. He says this in verse 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us of our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Jesus starts out by saying, this then is how you should pray. Now, prayer is where we are talking about what's going on in our lives with God. It's pretty much all there is to it. But yet, Jesus says, I need to teach you how to pray. It's interesting because uh, one of the other stories in the Gospels, the other time that the Lord's Prayer is cited for us, the disciples come up to Jesus and say, hey, would you teach us how to pray? Something in them said, I'm not very good at this, but Jesus is really good at this. What was it? Well, they watched Jesus go off and have time alone with God. They probably heard Jesus pray, and they realized his prayers have depth that mine don't. His prayers have the ability to actually connect us with God, where mine don't seem to feel that way. And one of the first things we need to see is the difficulty of prayer. Now, I'm going to share with you a little secret. It is way easier to preach for 30 minutes than to pray for 30 minutes. It is so much easier to preach for 30 minutes than to pray for 30 minutes. This is out of my own experience, and not just mine, a a lot of other pastors I've talked to. When you preach for 30 minutes, now, hear me well. I've given some really bad sermons, and some of you have heard those really bad sermons. Some have been recorded and placed online for all humanity to hear those really bad sermons. But one thing that I've never done during a sermon, I mean, I have a tendency to ramble. Marv has said that we chase a lot of rabbits, but we don't eat much. (laughs) Which is a great, that is such a great line. I love that. I have a tendency to chase rabbits. I have a tendency to forget sometimes. You might have noticed this a handful of times where I just get involved in speaking and saying or I'm into a story or I, I, you know, I start getting laughter and then I just go and I forget where I'm at in the sermon. But one thing that has never happened to me in my sermons is I've never forgotten that I'm preaching. It's never happened to me. I'm not that bad. Okay? It's never like, oh, wow, there's a congregation out here and I'm just up here talking. But do you know how often when I'm praying, I forget that I'm praying? Anybody else have that experience? Like, sometimes when I'm driving, I try to pray when I'm driving. 
Because you can space out when you're driving, so it's like, hey, I'll just pray. But then you can space out driving and praying <laughs> combined. There's all sorts of times. What, dem- what that demonstrates to me is prayer is so, I am so weak in prayer. All of us are so weak in prayer. John Newton, the guy, the great hymn writer, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, he has this great line that uh, I read in Tim Keller. He says, um, He says that when he is trying to pray, just trying as hard as he can to concentrate and pray, he feels so weak, he says, that sometimes the buzzing of a fly in the room is an overmatch for my strength. (laughs) Oh, man, no wonder that guy's a good hymn writer, because can't you hear the buzzing? Can't you see the little fly? Can't you see yourself like John Oh, prayer so hard. I would be able to concentrate, but this stupid fly. And Lord, we just, oh my goodness. We are so weak in prayer. It can be so difficult. Now, why is prayer so boring? Why is prayer so hard? Why is prayer so difficult? Well, I think part of it is because we are talking to somebody that we don't know that well. We are talking to somebody that we don't know that well. When we struggle in our prayer lives, when our prayer is boring, it's because we're talking to somebody we don't know well. For instance, I get to do weddings. Yay! Actually, I like funerals more than weddings. Don't tell anybody that. Just between you and I, I like funerals more than weddings, doing them. Because there's so little expectation on a funeral. (laughs) Weddings, though, oh my gosh. There's reasons they make shows out of weddings, not funerals, for reality TV. (laughs) I get to do a lot of weddings. And when I do weddings, I meet people that I've never met before in my life. And some people are not very good at conversing. Have you experienced this? Maybe you're one of them. I try to engage people in conversation. So what do we usually start out by saying in our culture? How's the weather? That's where Tim goes because he's worried about sunscreen. (laughs) No. Um, Are you? Anyways. How about, well, that's another place to go and. What do you do? That's where I usually start. So what do you do? Right? Which as a pastor, that's a terrible question because now all of a sudden it's like, you know, I'm a pastor. Oh, gosh, well, hey, good for you. You know, (laughs) you know, uh, please don't talk to me anymore. You see, we just struggle to talk to people that are new, that we don't know very well. It's hard. We talk about trivial things, the weather, what they do, where they live, where are you from, who do you know, do you like the Broncos, blah, 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 blah. And sometimes, if you're like me, you find you put a lot of foot in your mouth when you're talking to new people. Like, if you ever say an opinion with a new person and you just assume they have the same opinion, like, hey, how about them Broncos? I hate football. I don't like the Broncos. I mean, all of a sudden, it's like, well, why did I put my foot in my mouth? Because I don't know this person. And it becomes very difficult when we're having a conversation with somebody new. And when we're starting out in our relationship with Christ, when we're starting out with our relationship with God, that's what prayer's like. 
You don't know this guy very well. And so you sit around talking about trivialities. You sit around talking about things that are, you put your foot in your mouth. And you get bored quick and you zone out while you're driving. And by the way, this can happen when we've known God for a long time. Because some of you are thinking, well, I've known God for a long time, and I still have boring prayers, and I still zone out, and I still space out. What's wrong with me? And I can tell you what's wrong with you, because it's the same thing wrong with me. We forget who we're talking to. We forget. You see, one of the things that bugs all of us about the Lord's Prayer is how it starts. You see, the difficulty of prayer is also partly how what prayer is. It's talking to the infinite, the great, the majestic king of everything, the creator. And all of a sudden, that can make you a little tongue-tied. That can cause you a little trepidation. That can make it a little intimidating. And that's where Jesus helps us with what he says next. This then is how you should pray. Our Father. You see, prayer only works in a family context. Tim Keller tells a story of how he was invited to go to a a function that was held at a, a Muslim mosque in New York City where he pastors. And so he went. And it was a, they had a little forum. They were, he was invited to talk on it and other pastors. And they were talking about how to address God in prayer. And one of the Muslim imams said, you never speak to the great Allah as father. That is too presumptuous. None of us have that right None of us can come to the creator God and say, Father. And Tim Keller, his thought was, he's absolutely right. None of us, in and of ourselves, have the right to go in and to presumptuously address God, the creator, the king of everything, as Father. The reason we can is because of Christ. You see, it's interesting. When Jesus prays this prayer, he does not end it how we seem to always end our prayers. In Jesus' name, right? You ever watch those TV preachers? In Jesus' name. Man, those guys, they can make Jesus like a four-syllable word somehow. In Jesus' name, you know? Jesus doesn't end his prayer that way. Isn't that weird? Maybe it's not weird because he's the one saying it, and I'd be kind of like, in my name, pray. In fact, he starts it out by saying, in my name. That's, he sneaks it in there. He says the reason you can say our father is because of, of him, because of his work, because of his work on the cross. Paul, the apostle, would later on go on and say in Galatians that you are now adopted sons and daughters. And because you are adopted sons and daughters, you have every single right and privilege and authority of The son, the natural born son. Jesus is the natural, one and only, unique son of God. And because of the work on the cross and because of our faith in Christ, we can be adopted. (laughs) And now we can go in and say, our father. 
we don't even comprehend how amazing, how great, how awesome this is. When I was a kid, my mom would sometimes leave me alone with a magnifying glass outside in the summer. Did your mom do this? And like one of my favorite things was, this is cruel and terrible if you're a Buddhist, I'm really sorry. We would burn up (laughs) roly-polies. Did you ever do that? That was awesome. Because they just curl up and then they're like, oh, sitting duck. Wow. Have you ever done that? You focus the sunlight through the magnifying glass and you burn things. You start fires. And it's exciting. You can start an entire fire doing that. Like you could set up the house on fire. It's amazing. Kids, don't try that at home. Parents are going to be like, do we have any magnifying glasses? We need You need to use this first part of the prayer. You need to not use it, but think of this first part of the prayer as a magnifying glass. And you don't skip this part till you get a fire going in your heart for who God is. You have to stay there and you have to live in it. And you have to say, our father, my father, hallowed be your name. Because the biggest problem in your life and in my life is we are idolaters. We worship everything else but our father. How do I know that? My prayer life reveals it. Because I get past that part as fast as I can to the three petitions in the prayer. Give us this day. Deliver me. Lead me. That's where I spend the vast majority of time in prayer. How about you? I have a shopping list for God. All right, you're God. I'm not. Here's my list. Let's move on. Forget the worship part. Please, come on. Who's got time for that? I got stuff to do, people to see. Let's get, get cracking. Let's go. Let's move on my list. What do the prayers in the Bible look like? You see, the Hebrews, they saw the, the Psalms as the gymnasium for prayer. It's where you went to work out. <laughs> it's where you went to learn the rhythms, the language, the how-to of prayer. In fact, lots of Protestants, they struggle with this because it's like, well, you just need to pre- speak from the heart and you need to say things that you really believe and that you really are you know, passionate about in the moment. And have you listened to people like that? They, they sound like they're talking to a mob boss because they always call him Father Weegis. Father Weegis, Father Weegis, Father Weegis. Father, 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 Weegis, Weegis, Weegis. What? I mean, we get these little names and stop words and, you know, the, like the amen guys. You ever been around the amen guys? Amen, amen. If you're an amen guy, it's okay. But, I mean, understand what you're doing. Father, we just, we just, we just, 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 father, 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 father. It's like, it's like if anybody came to me, it was like, Steve, 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 Steve. Yes? One time. It's all, unless you're my daughter. Then it's like three or four, is what I've been told. Um, sometimes my wife. <laughs> but God doesn't work that way, does he? 
You see, the prayers are a place, the Psalms are a place to learn how to pray. And 50% of those prayers, 70% of those prayers, sometimes 90% of those prayers are worship. They're worship, they're adoration, they're God, you are amazing. God, you are great. God, you are a strong tower. God, you are a rescuer. God, you are a refuge. God, you are a shepherd. God, you lead me. God, you are amazing. God, you made. God, you did. God, you always will. God, you are like this. It's all about talking about who he is. And you and I skip that. And we skip it and we get bogged down and bored and frustrated. You ever read the book of Job? It's not really pick me up. But you read the book of Job. And Job, all these catastrophes, these horrible things happen to him. His kids die. He loses his money. He loses his business. His wife says, curse God and die and leaves him. He loses his health. Everything's going wrong with Job. And what do you do when everything goes wrong? And you follow Yahweh. You talk to him about it. That's what Job did. What's going on? Why is this happening? Are you listening to me? What is wrong? Pretty normal guy. And for the vast majority of the book, it's Job and his friends trying to figure out what is going on and why is life horrible and why did Job's kids die and why did his wife leave and why did he lose all of his money? Does God hate him? Must have been something that you did. And towards the end of the book, God shows up and has a conversation with Job, which most of us would really enjoy having a conversation with God, to be honest. Most of us would like God to show up and say, so we could kind of have our day in court with God. Job gets his day in court with God, and it is so unsatisfying as the reader. Because you're reading it, and God starts to question Job. Hey, uh... Where were you when I made the earth? Okay, God, that has nothing to do with what I'm... Hold on. Where were you when I made the Leviathan, the deep sea creature? Well, okay, that has nothing to do with Mrs. Job leaving me. Where were you when I made... Can you hug the stars? Can you cause the earth to spin? Can you cause the sun to rise and set? Can, can you cause the seasons to happen? Can you cause... Can... And it's even more dissatisfying as a reader when it starts to work on Job because we're like, okay, is this some crazy God ninja mind trick thing that's going on here? Why is God satisfied with these answers? Because he's not answering And the reason it works is because God took the magnifying glass out. And he said, Job, look. Look at me. Look at who you serve. Look at my abilities. Look at what I can do. Look at all I bless you with. Look at every good and perfect thing that comes from my hand. And Job is reminded who he's speaking to. Job worships God. You see, 
If we get the shopping list first, and by the way, the shopping list is important because it's your life. <laughs> it's what you're concerned about. It's what you're passionate about. It what can keep you up at night. It's what gets you talking to him. The shopping list is important. This prayer spends time on the shopping list. But it spends time on God. It's time on Yahweh. And one of the things we all need to realize is that our true problem is that we worship the wrong things. Our true problem is that we have forgotten who to worship. What's most important? You see, all of our problems come from forgetting who God is. I found this to be personally true. I there's times, I haven't done it in a long time, but I used to, when we first got here, I'd get in my car and I'd drive, and I told you, I confess that's when I space out, but also sometimes when I pray. <laughs> and those moments that I pray the best are usually when I shelve the shopping list. And I wish I could tell you it's because I'm such an amazingly spiritual person and I've got this all figured out. <laughs> that's far from true. Usually... I'm like Job, and I start in with, God this, and God that, and I'm frustrated with this, and take care of this, and fix that, and this person, and that person, and this situation. And in the course of my driving, somewhere between Eckley and Yuma, I feel like God sort of somehow speaks to me, or I'm reminded, or... And it's one of those moments where it's like, well, my dad used to flick me in the head. It's probably like that. Yo, dummy. Who are you talking to? What am I able to do? Did I make the world? Yeah. See those cows over there? Do you have anything to do with that? No. Do you know their names? They got names. You know what makes hamburger taste so great? I got some ideas. Yeah, but do you know who made the mouth that likes to eat it? Do you know who, who made the teeth that can eat it? Do you know who makes sure you keep your teeth and keep your health and let you eat the hamburger? Do you, okay, I get perspective. No, let's keep going, Steve, because you're kind of stupid and you're slow. Do you know those stars that you like to go outside and see? I can name them all. Do you know that many of those things you see, those little fuzzies, those are galaxies, and they are full of hundreds of thousands of stars, and I can name them all, and I made them all. Do you know every single person that ever lived on planet Earth, I knew them by name. I knew their middle name, that their mom called them when they were in trouble. I know everything. Did you know that you spend most of your time fretting, worried, not talking to me? And I am more willing and ready to hear than you are wanting to speak. Okay, so no, not done. This happens all the way till about Akron. And I just spend time rehearsing in my mind the Psalms that I know. God is a strong tower. God is a refuge and strength. God made these things. God did that. And I just, I feel so much better. It's like the ninja mind thing. 
works. Once I remember who God is, if I know that God cares about me and everything going on in my life, do I need to worry? If I know that God wants good things for me to happen and good experience in my life, do I need to fret? Do I need to go, well, I'm getting a really rough deal here. See, Jesus says God is our father. I happen to be a father. (laughs) Think about this, fathers. Take your kid to a toy store. Like FAO Schwartz and... New York City, Schwarz, whatever, however you say. You take them to the toy store. You walk them through the toy store. You march them all around the toy store. Mom and they know that dad has a credit card. (laughs) They know that dad could buy stuff in that toy store. And let's say you get to the cash register and the kid's got a thing or two picked out and you say, kid, I brought you here so I could show you all the amazing things in life that they've built for kids like you. But I am not going to buy a single thing for you today. So there. How would that kid feel? How would that kid walk out of that toy store? Pretty distorted view of their dad. Did you know how, how many of us have that? Many of us have that distorted view of God. I know I do. I struggle with that. I know that I look at people and stuff going on in their lives, like Facebook. Boy, that is from the devil. And you look at things that are going on in other people's lives, and everything's going great and fantastic and wonderful. And they're eating out, and they're doing this, and they saw this, and they got that, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, because the magnifying glass is magnifying them. The magnifying glass is magnifying my deficiencies and what I don't have. The magnifying glasses. I'm in the toy store. God won't let me come home with a single army man. So mean. He's like, dude, looking at the wrong thing. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. You see, prayer is about us turning to God to worship him. Are you looking forward to the day when all your needs are met? Are you looking forward to the day when every tear is wiped away? Are you looking forward to the day when all your grief is gone? Are you looking forward to the day when you will be reunited with loved ones who've gone before? Are you looking forward to the day when God comes and makes everything all right? Are you looking forward to that day? Revelations has a picture of that day. And it describes the day this way. The earth is filled with God's glory. That's it. God's present. You're happy now. That's it. That's the big, that's the big bow on the box. That's the box. That's the present in the box. God is it. Done. End of story. If you're not super excited, like, it's God, that's it, that's all we get, that's the big prize, then you don't know what the prize is. You are focusing on the wrong things. In your heart, you're an idolater. Because it's about God. At the end of days, that's what we want. No, I misspoke. That's what we get. 
And those who don't want it, do you know what they get? Life eternally separated from him. We have a little word for it. It's called hell. And those who want it, who want God, even though you're weak and a buzzing fly can distract you from your want for God, even though you're weak and the latest, greatest, neatest, coolest thing that you could perhaps buy or want or crave or talk about on your shopping list with God, even those distract us from him. If you have a bit of a glimmer of desire, his grace, his mercy is so great. That he'll give himself to you. The scriptures put it this way. They say, if you seek God, you will find him. That's what prayer is. Seeking him and finding him. I pray you will find him to be enough. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we can truly call you Father because Jesus in his work on the cross And Lord, I know that there is wrestling in my own heart with unanswered prayers and desires that I want you to fulfill, but you don't. And I know that I'm not unique in that. And Father, I pray that as we look at you and magnify you and wrestle with you, that we would want you above all. Holy Spirit, make that true of us. Make it so that we hunger and thirst after God and Him alone. Remove the false idols in our hearts that cloud us and confuse us and distort us. Holy Spirit, make it so. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn His face towards you and give you peace. More than that, may He give you Himself. Amen.